right, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, I'm going to read verse 30 through 34. It says, And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they had heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And the multitude rebuked them, because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And Jesus stood still and called them and said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? They say unto him, Lord, that thou eyes may be opened. And Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. So this week, this is going to be the last week where I'm talking about spiritual healing and things along those lines. We could talk about this for weeks and weeks, but obviously... Um, all of us have spiritual healing that needs to be done. Uh, I think it's important that we understand the concept of it. We've been, every week we've been looking at a different miracle of Jesus and showing the spiritual application. While everybody wants to repeat the physical act, nobody's talking about the spiritual act, which is the main message of these passages. And it's what we ought to be in the business of doing. And so what I want to do in this message, because uh, again, there's so much I could talk about when it comes to this subject, and there's so many examples we can use. So I, what I want to talk about today is specifically being a spiritual healer, okay? And that doesn't mean you're going to go get a white suit and coat and something real flashy and get on stage and start waving your coat around and doing Benny Hinn type stuff. Uh, that's not what we're talking about here. But I do believe that we ought to be in the business of getting people that spiritual healing they need. Now, I'm not talking about you doing some fantastic thing, but obviously we know we got to bring these people to Jesus. But we need to be instruments that God uses, and God can directly use us to help heal people, spiritually speaking. And we need to know how to do this. And so there's a lot of examples that we can look at, but I want to talk about this because uh, I, I hear a lot on this subject, and, and I've studied a lot on this subject, and I think it's important, but I think the principles that we're going to take from this, we can apply it to a lot of different areas. But Specifically, dealing with victims of abuse, okay, physical abuse, sexual abuse. Our world today, it's sick, it's twisted, it is so depraved, and the amount of abuse that's going on in this world today is just heartbreaking. When you consider how many people are being sexually abused, physically abused, it's horrible that a child's home is not safe these days. And you know what? Homes aren't the only places that aren't safe today. A lot of churches are not safe places. A lot of schools are not safe places. A lot of Christian schools are not safe places. And horrible things have happened in churches, in schools, and even in homes. And folks, it's, it's, a, it's a tragedy, but this is the world that we live in. These are the people that we live among that we come in contact with every day. And we need to know how to help these people because we don't want to just cast them aside. There's a reason that the LGBT movement is growing like it is today, it's because many of those people are victims of sexual abuse and they have been hurt, they have been warped in their mind, they have not gotten any healing, and they end up going down that direction of perversion. And that's sad. And we don't want to go and have somebody who's been hurt, who's been abused, it was no fault of their own, but because so much damage was done, we just want to cast them aside and just say, forget about it, and then let the homos have them. We ought to be trying to help these people before the, the homos get to them. We don't need that movement growing any more than it already is. 
And one of their main ways of recruiting is by defiling and by hurting. And I wish I could tell you that you'll never find those type of people in a church, but many of them are mounting pulpits today. And they are giving the cause of Christ a bad name. And it is. It's a heartbreaking thing. And so in this message, I want to talk about how, how to help these kind, of, these kind of people and what we can do to help those uh, who have been sexually abused. Because unfortunately, uh, this is not foreign to us anymore. It used to be a rare thing, but this is a real thing that's going on. And most people, I think they want to be compassionate. They want to help people. They just don't know how. They really don't know how. And so let, hopefully let's, we can learn some things from this. So first off, the first thing that you can do, and again, we're going to focus on you know, physical and sexual abuse victims, but I think you, we can apply many of these principles to any, any different area where somebody has been spiritually hurt. But we just don't have time to go down every avenue and every scenario. So the first thing you need to do is you need to listen to what people have to say. Look, people who have been hurt, people who have been abused, they need to tell someone their story. They need someone to know what has happened to them. They need people to know what is wrong with them. They need someone to hear what they have to say. And notice in the story with Jesus, as he healed, before he heals these blind men, says, Behold, the two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Thou son of David, and look at this, and the multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. What's, what's going on right here? Okay, why, first off, why would the multitude have a problem with these men crying out for Jesus? I mean, Jesus is known for healing people. These guys are blind. Don't they have a, a real legitimate need? Of course they've got a real legitimate need there. Why wouldn't they be crying out? They want, they want someone to recognize the problem that they have. And Jesus asks them, what will that I do for you? Their eyes may be opened. They, they had a problem. They knew what the problem was. But you know what? People didn't want to listen to them. These guys, they're just blind men. What can they contribute to society? Nothing. So here comes Jesus, an important man by... And these blind men are getting, you know, trying to get the attention of Jesus. You know what? You guys be quiet. You guys just stay out. You've got nothing you can contribute. Because most of these Jews, they're wanting Jesus to rise to power so he can, like, take over the Romans and help them conquer the world. Not so he can heal blind people, even though we saw the first week. That's why he came to give recovering of sight to them that are blind. But they're just thinking, no, this, we don't have time for this kind of thing. We got bigger fish to fry going on. But you know what? For these two men right here, their blindness was very important, wasn't it? Imagine being blind, especially back in that day. And you know, many times there's people out there, maybe they're young people, maybe they're children, maybe they're teenagers, maybe they're from a terrible home, and a lot of times they've got a need. They've got something that is hurting them, that is that has been done to them, and they want somebody to listen to them. But you know what we typically do in church? You know, we don't need this kid stopping the work that we've got going on here. Yeah, this person that's trying to accuse the pastor of something, we don't have time to listen to that. Do you realize what that will do to this church's reputation? Do you realize that, if, I mean, obviously, it's a, it would be, it's, it's a terrible thing to find out your pastor is a pervert, that he's done some terrible scandal. I mean, isn't that going to hurt the work of the church? You better believe it's going to hurt the work of the church. 
And so what people typically do, well, it's like, well, you know what? We've got this big church. We've got big things. We've got big money. We can't let some little kid stop the work of the Lord. That's the attitude we have. They are insignificant. They don't matter. You know what? This pastor, he's done this for me. He's done that. We're just going to ignore it. And you know, that's what usually is happening to victims today. Nobody wants to listen to them. Nobody wants to hear what they have to say, but somebody needs to care about these people that have been hurt, that have been done wrong and say, hey, tell me what's going on. They need someone to just listen to what they have to say. And you know why we don't help anybody these days? Because we don't listen to anybody. We're not listening to what people have to say. It's difficult for most people because when someone confides in you, this is what happens. This is why people don't want to hear it. Because when somebody confides in us, we now know we have a responsibility to do something and to help them. Look what it says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. It says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, now this is talking about somebody who did wrong. Okay? We're supposed to try to help those people. Well, if we're supposed to help people that did wrong, how much more should we help the one who has been wronged? And you understand that person who has been wronged, that person who has been hurt, they have a heavy burden, and we've been commanded as God's people to bear that burden with them. But you know what? We don't want to deal with that. I mean, folks, I mean, just imagine, it is a tough thing. It would be a tough thing if somebody in this church came to you and said, Pastor Tommy did whatever to me. You all understand, you're responsible now, especially if it's a minor. You all have a responsibility now to do something about it and to help that person carry that burden. That's not fun. But you know what? Somebody's got to do it. We can't just forget them. You know, we can't just ignore them. We can't treat them like we do. That person that we see on the side of the road with a flat tire, we just try to drive by and pretend we didn't notice. You know, because we don't want to have to stop and take our time and do the work. And understand, when you find out some horrible crime has been done, that's an uncomfortable situation. That's a heavy burden. But do we, do we really expect some 12-year-old to carry that burden and not get totally messed up from that type of thing? I mean, we wonder why they're so, we said, we wonder why these people all turn out to be perverts. These people are carrying a heavy burden. Something horrible has been done to them and nobody cares because it's going to knock everybody out of their comfort zone. That's a wicked attitude. We don't want to be that way. And so, you know, when somebody tells you about a crime, it puts you in an uncomfortable position. But, you know, it's the same thing for me as a pastor. You know, if, if, a, uh, if a child or a minor, somebody comes to me and tells me, about abuse, I'm considered a mandated reporter. I could go. I know pastors that have gone to jail for not reporting crimes like that. And I'm just going to let everybody know, okay, if you are a part of this church, if anything gets reported to me on you that's illegal, I'm going to the cops, okay? And it's not that I'm just anxious to see you go to jail. I've got to protect myself, too. Okay? I, I, you know, I, I've got to protect this church, and so just, if you're a pervert, you might want to go find another church before somebody comes talk and talks to me. You know, go to Pastor Cover-Up's church 
And, you know, he'll, you know, he'll cover things because he doesn't want the bad reputation, all that kind of stuff. But, folks, I'm going to do it. All right. So if you're involved in perversion at all, just, you know, get out before I find out because I will rat you out so fast. It won't be fun. I won't enjoy it. I'll be sad. I'll confront you about it. And, you know, and if, you know, try to make sure that there's not, you know, some way, you know, I'm going to try to make sure it's actually true some way. But either way, I've got to go to the cops and something like that. And if somebody ever comes to you on me, you ought to do the same thing. That, that's just the way it ought to be done. And we might talk about that here a little more in a little bit. But at the end of the day, nobody wants to listen to these people because people don't want to bear the responsibility that comes with it. It is a burden. But folks, we've got to bear other people's burdens. Jesus came and he bore our burden on the cross, didn't he? That was the whole point of him coming. He bore the burden of our sin that we couldn't carry. He's asked us to bear the burdens of other people. And you know what? It stinks when we get uncomfortable. It stinks with all the stuff that we have to deal with in our own lives to have to deal with something like that. But we can't just cast these people aside that have been hurt, that have been abused. And I'm telling you, just you hearing them out is going to help them a lot. But understand, there's a burden. And we all know that. There's a burden that comes with that. But we've got to be willing to carry it. Do not run from that. Our natural selfish reaction is to downplay or ignore it. This is why churches do that. Okay, This is why whenever there is some kind of accusation, they, they try to ignore it. They try to downplay it. It's just the natural lazy reaction to it. Because it says in Proverbs 21, 13, though, Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself but shall not be heard. Now, why don't we like hearing from the poor? Because then we kind of feel obligated to help, don't we? You know, when you know somebody's hungry, you know, you feel bad when you go pulling in by Walmart and Culver's over there when you see the guy standing there with the sign as you're getting ready to go drive into Culver's to stuff your face. You know, it kind of, and now we've all, we've got our excuse. He's just a hippie. He's just a good for nothing, you know, and that's probably the case. But at the same time, at the same time, it makes us uncomfortable when we see a physical need. Because we know, if, especially if it's legit, we know we should probably do something about it. But that means taking something from ourselves. That means sacrificing something of ourselves. But the Bible says here, you know what? If you're stopping your ears at the cry of the poor, you're going to be crying yourself one of these days. And so a lot of times when people do speak up and maybe they go to someone in leadership in the church and they tell them something very uncomfortable, you know what ends up happening they just try to downplay it. Oh, it's no big deal. It didn't happen. They're trying to ignore it is what they're doing because it's an uncomfortable truth. And we can't do that. You need to have your ears wide open. And not so you can go expose me, you know, on Facebook and you're expose somebody else in the church. No, because you care about these people. And you need to hear, hear them out, listen to what they say. They just need somebody to talk to. And listen, folks, I know it's going to freak you out. If somebody ever came and wanted to talk to you about you know something I'd done or somebody in my family had done, it's going to make you very uncomfortable if that ever happens. But just mark it down. If you don't listen to them, eventually they're going to find somebody to listen to. And it's probably going to be one of these nut jobs online trying to expose the IFB all the time. And you're like, well, I don't want this getting out in the church. Well, then you listen. Otherwise, they're going to go and it's going to hit the whole world. And it might be a false accusation. It might be a misunderstanding. It might be something that, you know, you could put a stop to and an end to or a resolution to, depending on what it is. There's so many different things. But if you just ignore it 
it's going to end up probably getting blown out of proportion and going all over the place. You will make things worse by ignoring it. You're going to think you're helping, but you're not helping. You're actually, you know, you're hurting the whole church and you're really only just helping yourself. And if that burden comes to you, man, you need, you know what you just need to do? You need to tell the Lord, I'll bear this burden, but Lord, I need you to bear mine some more because this is a heavy burden. And I believe the Lord will help you if you do that. So listen to what these people have to say. But then, look at what it says in uh, verse 30 of Matthew chapter 20. After these men cry out, after the multitude rebukes them, hey, we don't have time for this. In verse 34, it says, So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. You know what? Have a little compassion with people. Feel sorry for people. If something bad happens to somebody and they tell you about it, that's not your opportunity to tell them about something worse that you've gone through. You know what? That's your opportunity to be compassionate. That's your opportunity to have some sympathy. Well, you know what? Paul and Silas, you know, they went through a whole lot worse than you. You know, if I, if I talk to a pastor out there that's dealing with junk from his government, I'm not going to say, well, did they whip you like they did Paul and Silas? Did they throw you in prison? I'm not going to say that to them. You know what? There's always somebody that went through something worse than what we went through. And I'm sick of pansies out there that don't want to help bear other people's burdens. So what do they do? They downplay it like cowards. And they bring up Paul and Silas. Hey, I can bring up what Jesus bore on the cross. You know, none of us will ever go through anything worse than what Jesus went through. I can always bring up Job. If you come to me with your problems, I can say, well, have you been through what Job's been through? Stop being a pansy. You know what? I'm doing that because I'm lazy, because I'm, I'm a self-centered coward that doesn't want to bear anybody else's burdens. That's why I would do that. Mark it down. And you know, we don't need to be that way with people. If somebody comes to us because they've been hurt, something's happened to them, they're going through a challenge, you know what you do? You have compassion on them. Jesus didn't look at these men that were crying out for mercy and say, you know what? I'm about to carry a cross for you. What? You should be doing something for me. He didn't do that. He had compassion on them. That's why he was on the cross, because he had compassion on us. And yet, people will try to use these things as excuses for them. You know, well, Jesus went through more, so they don't have to have compassion on us. Hey, do you realize the reason Jesus went through that is because he had compassion on us? Why can't we have compassion on other people? You know, and, but self-centered people don't want to do that. Self-centered people don't want to acknowledge that somebody's going through something more difficult than they are because then they feel like they should help. That's why everybody's so uncomfortable about all these pastors taking stands right now against the government. Well, you know, when we see somebody else fighting the fight, it's like, man, maybe we should get involved too. You know, but I don't want to. You know, I'd rather pay patty cake with little kids, you know, in a corner somewhere because I'm just scared of the battle. So let's go criticize them and say they haven't been, you know, fed to the lions. That's, that's a wicked attitude. It's a selfish attitude. Okay. And if you're just scared, that's fine, but at least have the decency to just shut up about those that are actually fighting a battle right now. And if somebody ever comes to you and they've got a challenge, they're dealing with something, you know what? Have compassion. Yeah, but I went through something worse. So what? So what? Don't tell them about that. Unless they ask about it. And, and don't make your situation... You know, when people have a problem, it's okay to act like they've got the biggest problem in the world. You know, that, that's how they feel. It's just called being compassionate. It's a good thing. That's what Jesus did. And so one of the biggest struggles for victims of sexual abuse is they feel like nobody cares about what happened to them. 
And it's not that nobody cares. It's just they don't want to deal with, because it is, it's a tough thing to deal with. It's a very difficult thing. And so the previous generation, they always tried to find a way to lay blame at their feet. You know, they always wanted to ask the woman what she was wearing. And you know, folks, I mean, women ought to dress right, but you know what? You don't just get to blame the women for everything. All right, guys like to do that, but that that was wrong. The previous generation was wrong when they would bring that up all the time. Okay, women should dress right. Okay, but even if she isn't, guys ought to be able to control themselves, and especially when it comes to adults versus minors. You know, you've got some teenage girl and you've got some 40, 50 year old pastor molesting. And we're going to talk about what the girl was wearing. We're going to talk about how the girl was acting. You know, I mean, I expect certain behavior, you know, from a teenager that maybe is from a rough home. But I also expect certain behavior from a pastor. And so, you know what? We don't get to blame the girl in that situation or the children. That is crazy wicked. And it is a, that, that is an old school thinking that was wrong. And we're not going to do that. And we, we can't lay blame at the victim's feet. And that's what everybody wants to do. You know, capital punishment. Okay. And this was funny. You know, these, these people who are advocates for abuse victims, they're all just left wing nut jobs anymore. And it was, and they're, they're such hypocrites. Because, like, none of these people, you know, you go find me that person that's out there fighting for abuse victims, and I'll show you somebody that's against capital punishment. And let me tell you, capital punishment, that's society's way of showing that the victim mattered. Boy, imagine these victims of abuse that were violated, that had terrible things done to them. If they saw their abuser taken out in Times Square and hung. I mean, imagine, you know what that tells them? You know what? My life matters. What was done to me matters. The law put this man to death for what he did to me. And that's how serious we take these things. That's the way it ought to be done. But unfortunately, we're not doing that today. And God did. God put the death penalty on certain sins because God thought they were a big deal. God thought it was a big deal to kidnap a child. God thought it was a big deal to kill somebody else. You know, God thought sexual abuse was a big deal. And God put the death penalty on these things. But today, we act like it's no big deal. We'll put these guys in prison for a few years or something like that, maybe, if they get caught. What are we telling the victim when we do that? You know what we're telling them? What he did wasn't that big of a deal. You know what we're telling victims of sexual abuse when their accusers or when their violators get put away for just a few years? We're telling them that tax cheats are bigger criminals than they are. That some guy that stole a little money from the government did something worse than that pervert that violated you. Isn't that interesting? We put tax cheats in prison longer than we do perverts and child molesters. It, it blows my mind, and we wonder why people are so messed up in the head. You know why? Because they're not getting any justice for what they've done. And if they would get justice, it would send a message that you're important, what is done to you matters, people are not allowed to hurt you, and anybody that touches you, we as a society, we will stop them. That's what it tells them. And it can help them have some actual value for themselves. And instead of after they get violated, going and piercing themselves up and tattooing themselves and abusing themselves up and joining the LGBT movement, it would tell them that they are important, that they matter, and maybe they would go on and serve the Lord. Maybe they would get healing if we actually treated them like they had any real value. 
But I'm telling you, folks, I do. I believe very much, and I don't have time to preach on it, show the Bible on it, in capital punishment for perverts. I believe in that very much. And you know what? Go find me one of these victims of, or, you know, these advocates for IFB abuse victims that's a, for the death penalty. And, and they're, they're, none of them are for the death penalty, and they all promote LGBT. They're hypocrites is what they are. But unfortunately, not enough people in the IFB that are actually right on things are speaking up against this junk. Thankfully, more and more people are. There are exceptions out there. Okay, I'm not even going to act like we're the only ones speaking up against this. More and more people are popping up, but I, it needs to be a lot more. And not enough of the big names are saying anything about it. They're too busy. They've already, they've already covered up too many scandals as part of their problems. So they can't say anything without looking like a great big hypocrite. But so the, vic, the, the victims or the families, they need closure when stuff happens to them. They need to see that person put away for life or even put, or preferably put to death. You know, the victims or the families of victims, they need the satisfaction of knowing that because their violator, because they spoke up, because their violator was caught and that they reported it, that now that person will never do it to anyone again. Because that's what happens. This is why a lot of these people speak up years later, even though they know they're probably not going to go to prison, even though they know the statute of limitations is up, is they don't want them doing it to anyone else. And so when that victim, if they see that person get thrown into prison or put to death, and I don't even know when the last time we put a pervert to death was, but if they were to see that, you know what they know? I was done wrong, but that person will never do anything again. If he'd have done it to somebody else, they might not have said anything. And then he would have kept on abusing. And it's, it's terrible that he did it to me, but I stopped it. But, you know, unfortunately, most victims don't get that satisfaction. Most people today, their, their victims, even guys like Pastor Shiflett, his, you know, the pervert that messed with him went to prison, but he's out. You know, yeah, it's on his record. He gets some satisfaction there, but, you know, I think he deserved better. I think he, de- I think he deserved better than that. And we need to make sure we, you know, we stand up against this kind of stuff. Every boy or every girl who comes forward when a crime has been committed against them should be able to get the satisfaction of having someone who is in, in authority that comes to them, just looks them in the eyes and is able to say, because you reported this man, he will never hurt anybody again. Imagine if, if every victim got to hear that. I wonder if they would be running with all these weirdo advocacy groups that are out there that just hate the IFB. If they are able, if, if somebody in authority, if a judge, if a police officer, someone, a prosecutor, could go and look in their eyes and say, thank you for coming forward. Thank you for reporting this. He will never do this again. Do we not think these people deserve that? That have been violated in such a terrible way? But no, we're all such bleeding hearts today. We all don't want to look bad because people, you know, we're for capital punishment that we do. We just let these people go on and suffer all their life and deal with that. It's wrong. It is a wicked thing. And so, uh, look at Deuteronomy chapter 20. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 22. Let me show you a passage over there. But one thing that victims need to understand is that the law does have a responsibility to protect the innocent. 
Okay, this is something that victims need to understand. Our law does have the responsibility to protect the innocent. And even though this is often difficult, uh, you know, victims of abuse do have a responsibility to come forward as soon as possible when a crime has been committed. I know there's a lot of reasons that they all often feel like they can't. I get that. But they need to. I, they, it, it, is, it takes a lot of courage, and, uh, and we need to make it easy for them to do it. Society needs to figure out a way to do that. But look what it says in Deuteronomy 22, verse 20. But if this, uh, this is talking about a false accuser. Uh, so it says, wait, that's not the right uh, verse. Look at verse 23. If a damsel that is a virgin be betrothed unto her husband and a man find her in the city and lie with her, then ye shall bring them both out into the gate of that city, and ye shall stone them with stones that they die. The damsel, because she cried not, being in the city, and the man, because he hath humbled his neighbor's wife, so thou shalt put away evil from among you. But if a man find a betrothed damsel in a field, and the man force her and lie with her, then the man only that lay with her shall die. But unto the damsel thou shalt do nothing. There is in the damsel no sin worthy of death. For as when a man riseth against his neighbor and slayeth him, even so is the matter. For he found her in the field, and the betrothed damsel cried, and there was none to save her. Okay, notice how there was an expectation on the damsel, if she's in the city, to cry out. You need to say something. Because as a society, too, we don't want rape going on unanswered. We don't want, that's, that is a horrible thing to happen, but we also don't want blood on our hands of killing innocent people, too. And that's why our laws do have some kind of statute of limitations. There comes a point where it's impossible to prove anything. And, and we can't go putting somebody to death for something we don't know that they did. And so there was an expectation that you cry out and that you, that you do something, you say something. And it is important that people do that. And um, I think we ought to try to make it as easy as we can. I believe that churches, businesses, schools should have policies to make it possible for victims of abuse to come forward without fear of retaliation. We had a men's meeting last night. We talked about this very thing. We're not going to say what these things are publicly, but we were talking about uh, basically laid out what people ought to do if you find out I did something or someone in my family did something. You know, the Bible says against an elder received not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. There's a, there's a way that it's supposed to be dealt with. And, you know, I kind of laid out some expectations. And if, if you weren't there, you know, we're glad to tell you about them. But the thing is, there needs people who have been violated, people who have been wrong. They need to be able to tell somebody. And in most churches... There is nothing in place. If a pastor does something wrong, there is no way to hold him accountable. That's not right. I don't, I don't believe that in, in that type of thing at all. There should be a way to remove a pastor from a church. If a pastor gets out of line, because, you know, the, the thing is, folks, if I did something to a kid, I could go to prison. But, you know, if I commit adultery, the law is not going to do anything about it. You'll, but you all realize you should. You should do something about it. And I think it's important that we all know how these things should be handled uh, if, in case that ever happens, in case somebody in the church ever comes to you. It's like, hey, this happened to me. If it was somebody, if it was anybody else, tell me about it. Okay, You better believe I'm going to deal with it. But if it was me who is in leadership 
You need to know how to deal with that too. And we talked about that, and I think I think it's a very important thing. So it's not something we're going to like publicly put our uh, protocol out there because there's so many variables in there. There's so many you know things you have to factor in. But I think we I think last night we came to a conclusion on the spirit of what we're doing and how it should be handled. And you know I can boldly get up and say we're going to do this because I have no intentions. I know I'm not a pervert and I have no intentions of doing anything. But it also goes for my family too. If anything, if anything were to happen there, because a lot of people are terrified in many churches of speaking anything against the pastor or his family. They're terrified because it, it, it will not go well for them. It should not be that way. And, and all these IFB haters, their thing is we need to go to like a denomination where we've got these boards and all these things. And, but the reason they're going that direction is because there's no accountability. And I have B churches, but why can't we as a church hold ourselves accountable? Y'all realize we should be able to do that. We don't have to go and change, you know, church structure into something that's unbiblical to do that. We should be able to hold ourselves accountable. You all should be able to hold me accountable. And I believe, you know, what we come up with, what we came up with is, is a good way. That will be effective. And because the thing is, too, if I know there's a way for you to hold, hold me accountable and there's a way for you all to get rid of me, if I get tempted, it's going to make it a lot easier for me to say, I better not do that because they can get rid of me. You know, it's a good deterrent. Okay, I don't want to do anything like that, so I'm fine with putting deterrence out there. I'm not going to set up a structure where I can get away with murder pretty much. That's the way it is in a lot of churches. I don't like that. But one of the best ways to help real victims, too, this is important, and none of these advocacy groups want to talk about this. One of the best ways to help real victims is to have fitting punishments for those who falsely accuse. Look at what it says in Deuteronomy 19, because we don't want to just create an environment where everybody's just coming accusing of everything. There needs to be fear of falsely accusing somebody, and we don't have that in our world today. You can go say whatever you want on social media about me. No accountability. And let me tell you, a lot of people will run with it, too. And there is no accountability. That's, that's the perverted country that we live in today. And we're not, we are hurting victims. When these groups that are out there that are just letting every nut job come forward and just throw out accusations with no truth, they are hurting real victims when they do that. Because now nobody takes them serious. And that's the problem in these groups. I've talked to some of these people before. I've talked to some of the heads of these different advocacy groups, advocacy groups and I'm always telling them, listen, you need to vet the people that you feature. You can't just let every person posting on your websites and on your forums and things. You cannot do that. There's a lot of just bitter, angry nut jobs out there that are liars. And these, you know, the, these pastors that are complicit in cover ups, they, they feature these people to show you're all phony. And just, you know, have some expectations. There needs to be some kind of proof. And they, they've just taken these things too far. But folks, it is, it is wicked to violate people. But it is wicked to falsely accuse. Look what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 16. It says, if a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him, that which is wrong, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand. Therefore, the Lord before the priests and the judges shall, those thing, uh, shall be in those days. And the judges shall make diligent inquisition. And behold, if the witness be a false witness, 
and hath testified against his brother. Not a person who we couldn't prove their testimony. Eh? We couldn't prove it was false. No, I'm saying the person that we proved lied. Eh? Not a person who testified against somebody and we just couldn't, fit, we couldn't get confirmation that they were telling the truth. No, the person that we confirmed lied. It says, Then shall ye do unto him as he thought, had thought to have done unto his brother, so shalt thou put evil away from among you. See, that's the problem. We've got all these people coming forward today and just making stuff up. And then, and then all these advocacy groups support them and act like the heroes. No, some of these people are liars. And now the news media or whoever, okay, you know, so if, if, uh, if uh, you know, some liar comes out against Donald Trump, guess who the Republicans are all going to talk about? There might be some woman out there that really had something done, but you know what? The Republicans are all going to talk about that one that lied. And they're going to make it look like they're all liars. And now you've got this one that was actually done wrong and nobody will listen to him because these same nut jobs on CNN featured the liar. We need to vet these people. And a lot of these advocacy, group, advocacy groups that are against the IFB and abuse in there are constantly featuring proven liars and nut jobs. And just giving them the time of day. And then the bad guys in the IFB are all featuring these people all the time. This person was a liar. This person's always accused. You know, and you are hurting the real victims. They are being drowned out by the liars. And none of these groups have any vetting process. They, it, it's just any accusation, they just automatically accept it as true. That's also wicked. That is a wicked thing. And let me tell you, people ought to fear falsely accusing somebody. But I mean, literally, we've got groups out there that hate us today. Their evidence against church, our church or churches like ours is an anonymous YouTube comment somebody left. People can just leave an anonymous YouTube comment saying, you know, Pastor Tommy did this and said this, and then we have evidence that this is going on with, you know, Liberty Baptist Church. It's like, no, you are a horrible person. And, and let me tell you, there's places where bad stuff's happened, but it's all these liars that come along and they ruin it for everybody. We can't, we can't have that. And, and so if somebody has something legitimately done to them, there should be no retaliation. But if somebody falsely accuses, and not something we couldn't prove their claim, but no, if we can prove they were lying, then we're, you know, we're going to deal with that too. If what they would, if what they accused me of would have got me kicked out of the church, we prove they were lying, they get kicked out of the church. If it was just a misunderstanding, that's not necessarily a person lying. If they just didn't get a fact, that's not, you know, we're, said so it's, we're going to, you know, we're going to give people a lot of grace in these things because we want people to be confident. As a, as a church, we ought to want this to be an environment where if I am done wrong, I can come forward and there will be no retaliation. That needs to be the environment that we have here, and I want it to be that way. And so these IFB survivor groups, they are doing so much damage to their own cause by just letting every nut job on there. And so... There needs to be some place, though, for victims to go besides groups that are only going to introduce them to the LGBT community. You know, I, I, I'm sick of the guy, the people that everybody's going to are these beta males complaining about the toxic masculinity in the IFB. Are you serious? 
you know, that are just for every left. A lot of these same groups, too, that, are, that, that act like they're Christians. I've, I've, I've talked to some of these people. I've seen their Facebook pages and things. Whenever they talk about God, it's always with a small g. Why is that? I tend to think a lot of these people are just God-haters. And they hate the IFB for a lot of things that they're doing good. Hey, why is, okay, some, per, some preacher was a pervert. And so now you're gonna, you know, start acting like an atheist because of that. A lot of these IFB people are gonna take you serious when they see you out there, you know, praising the goddess and things like that. I've seen some of these people doing. They're not gonna take you serious. You don't need to be, you know, but at the same time, the reason that's happening is because in the IFB world, we have just cast these people out that have been wronged. And then there's this group of slimy, dirty vultures waiting to accept them with open arms. So they can turn them into perverts too. And that's a sad thing. And so, uh, last thing real quick. Third thing you can do. So first thing you need, you need to listen to them. You need to hear them out. Have compassion. But then you need to touch their lives like Jesus did and give them something worth following. Look what it says in verse 34 of Matthew chapter 20. Lost the spot. Matthew chapter 20, verse 34. It says, And Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Now, none of us in here have the ability to just touch somebody, you know, lay hands on them and pray, and all of a sudden all their problems just went away and they're healed. Okay? I'm not talking about doing something like that. I'm not talking about physically touching their lives. But look what it says in John chapter 14 and verse 12. John chapter 14 and verse 12. What do I mean by touching their lives? Here he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I shall do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now, I've talked about this before, but how can we do greater works than God did? Well, because, again, healing the sick, you know, healing someone's blindness is not what Jesus really came for. It was to save people. It was to heal them spiritually. We covered that in the first week. That is better. That is greater. And while we see a handful of cases of Jesus doing these things in the Bible... There's been people getting saved for 2,000 years. Our church has seen hundreds and hundreds of people saved. You know, we've helped many people. We've done a lot of the spiritual things that Jesus actually came for. So I, I personally believe we are doing greater works. And so I can't explain how Jesus healed anybody. Because especially when it comes to blind people, we see sometimes he'd touch them. Sometimes he'd spit in the mud and rub it in their eyes. He didn't always heal people in the same way. The one with the issue of blood, she just touched the hem of his garment. Jesus didn't have an exact method and an exact formula for every healing that he did. Sometimes he would just speak the word. He had a different way every time. And I can't give you a formula for how to you know, help somebody who's been damaged or spiritually. But I can tell you this. If we would take the time to stop and listen to people, if we would have some compassion... And then if we would follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, because in John 14, after Jesus said, you're going to do greater works, he said, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to send you the comforter. If we would follow the leading of the Holy Spirit on a case-by-case base with these people, I believe we will be able to help them out. I said, I, I can't tell you how it's going to be done every time, but maybe if you, you know, maybe that person that's been hurt, 
that has been treated like garbage, if you listen to what they had to say, you genuinely cared about what happened, you genuinely tried to help them get justice, you genuinely, genuinely love them, and, and, and they did get justice, you know what? Somewhere in there, because somebody loved them and cared about them, it touched their life. And you know what? They're over it now. They've been able to move on. You know, they've been able to have healing and they've been able to be restored into a church. And, and I've seen that happen. I, I can't tell you how it's done. I, just like I can't explain how Jesus, you know, I've, I've never tried to like imitate what he did to heal somebody. You know, I'm just, I'm not Jesus. And he didn't have an exact method. And I can't tell you exactly how we're going to heal everybody. But I believe if we would do those things, if we would, if we would love them, if we would listen to them, if we would have compassion on them, I believe we would touch their lives in a way that would actually help them get victory and help them heal. And so we need to be, we should be seeing more healing than ever because we have more sick out there than there's ever been. And none of it's going to come easy. You know, we're not going to, we're not, we're not going to have a big production where we come in and put on a show of how we heal these people. These people don't need to be put on display. That's not what they want. A lot of times they want to just keep this private, but they need things dealt with. And, so, you know, some things we're not going to be able to accomplish with people without some prayer and fasting. Some of it's going to be, some of it's going to be hard. Some things are going to take time. Some people that are out there, they're not going to want to be healed, even though we want them to be healed. But the important thing that we just need to remember when it comes to anybody that we come in contact with, anybody that God brings in our life, we at least need to know there's hope for these people. We at least need to know if we can get them to Jesus, they can be helped. And then what all we're going to do is we're going to we're going to love these people, we're going to listen to these people, we're going to have compassion on these people, and somehow we're going to get them to Jesus and he'll fix them. And they will be able to be restored. And so I hope this will motivate you to just get out there and help some people. Just get out there and help some people. Don't go walking out there like a superhero. I was like, "All right, I've heard all these sermons now. All right, who needs healing?" All right. No, that that's not that's not the attitude we're going to have. No, our, but we're just going to have a love for people, and we're going to go into it. When, when we go in, and this is how I am when I've, I've had people unload the truck to me, just they're going through heavy burdens. I always feel like, my, you know what my immediate thing is? I've, I've been sitting in my office before talking to people, and in my heart, I am crying out to God. Because I'm just like, dude, this is, this is way too big of a problem for me. And somehow, I've magically helped these people before. Don't ask me what I did. <laughs> it, you know, but you know, when I think about it, it was probably when I was in there panicking, calling on the Lord. <laughs> and then he just stepped in and made what I said do something. That's just, that's just how it is. At the, so, you know, we don't have any superpowers, but Jesus does. And so we got to rely on him. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your goodness to us. Dear God, I pray you'll help us to... Be compassionate people, Lord. Help us to be willing to bear the burdens that are out there. Lord, there is so much struggle and heartache and pain that is going on in this world and even in our own community. And dear God, I pray that you will help us to not ignore these things, but help us to be like you and have a listening ear. Help us to be ready and willing to hear what people have to say and help us to have a compassionate heart on them. And I pray that you will help us to touch their lives in a way where they can be healed uh, from these difficulties. In your name we pray. Amen.